Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, Andy Baldacci here, and welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. This week, I'm talking to the man who geeks out on the ins and outs of running a digital agency even more than I do, Jason Swank. Jason built his first agency, Solar Velocity, up to a $13 million a year business before selling it. And today he helps other agency owners get to seven and eight figures themselves. He really knows his stuff. And what I love most about his style is that he doesn't overcomplicate things. To Jason, the difference between an agency struggling to break five hundred grand and one that's killing it doing millions every year all comes down to the systems they have in place. In today's episode, Jason covers what those systems are, how you can implement them, and how to avoid the common mistakes made along the way. So without further ado, here's Jason. Jason, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so you have an interesting story. Today, you you help uh, digital agencies get to seven or eight figures in revenue. But before that, you ran your own agency that got up to $13 million a year, and then you sold it. Can we can we kind of back up a bit and start by hearing what that process was like? Yeah, I mean it was a long, grueling process, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. You first entered the agency space back in 1999, is that right? Yeah, so uh, I kind of fell into it by accident, and uh, I started originally doing kind of websites making fun of people, and I I made fun of one of my friends that looked like Justin Timberlake, and it got popular, and then people just wanted me to design websites for them, and. I literally started out selling $500 websites, and uh, that's kind of how I got started. So I had like four or five people ask me to do websites, and then quickly I ran out of that. And so then I started going through the Yellow Pages at the time and literally calling people saying, you don't have a website on your Yellow Page ad. Would you like a website? And I had to explain to them what a website was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it was a different time back then. Oh, yeah. It was totally different. And, uh, you know, it was, um, but it was a lot of fun and I would do it all over again. And then we just, uh, started going after bigger and bigger clients, uh, with bigger budgets and just started, you know, for a number of different years, we struggled though, because, you know, like most agencies, you know, you could do something really cool and then someone asks you to do it for money and you kind of fall into the business and, you start doing it, but you don't really have expectations or clarity of where you're going or what kind of systems that you need in place. And so for a number of years, we struggled to, you know, crack the 500,000 mark. But then after we started setting up the right systems and we quickly kept growing. So, yeah. And so to, to go back a little bit, so you're building websites and kind of just setting a price and slowly raising it. At what point did you say like, all right, this is going to be something bigger than just me. You know, well, I mean, when we started in 99, that was kind of the, the dot boom, right? Um, and so I saw a lot of people selling their companies for just stupid money. And I was like, I want stupid money. And, yeah. and I was just like, <laughs> you know, who doesn't want stupid money? I mean, and so I was like, I had intentions to sell it back then. So, but then when the dot bomb happened, which actually benefited us, because all the bigger companies went out of business, and then that's when we started getting bigger contracts. And I quickly enjoyed it and because we were making a lot more money. And I was like, well, why would I want to sell now? You know, What would I do? I don't know anything else. And I was a 
a stupid punk kid anyway. So, um, so then I kind of changed my mind. I was just like, dude, I, I don't want to ever work for someone. I, I don't want to sell. And, and then that quickly changed when, you know, people approach us, you know, toward the end of our 12 year tenure, um, to buy us. It was just the right time, right offer. And we can get into that later on, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the little story. And then I remember like our first hire, like, uh, I wouldn't do this again, but I hired like a, a creative person, um, to do it rather than a project manager. So I, I still had to do all the project management and all that kind of crap. So, so it wasn't really giving you any less work. No, you know, I was a prisoner. I mean, literally, yeah. you know, that's one of the, and so many agencies struggle with who to hire first. Right. And they go, well, we need to hire someone billable so we can make money and they don't think a project manager is billable, which is wrong. A project manager is billable and it could save you so much time because you don't need to be managing projects. Right. You have more kind of higher ROI things that you can spend your time. Exactly. On. Yeah. And so I think a lot of agencies struggle at that kind of 500 K to a million dollars a year point where almost through kind of sheer will, they can get themselves there. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but they can get to that point oftentimes without the processes that get them to grow beyond that. And so what was it that helped it when you decided to get serious and kind of break through that barrier? I just started realizing that the business was totally reliant on me, right? Everybody always had to come to me for what we needed to do. And I couldn't go on vacation. I mean, I was working around the clock. I mean, I literally, when I say I was a prisoner, I was a prisoner. And I got to a point where I was so miserable, and my wife was probably miserable as well. She, she just said, why don't you just close up shop and go work for someone? And at the time, uh, there was an opening for the, like the CMO of um, NASCAR. And I'm a race, I used to be a race car driver, so um, I race cars. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool, you know, marketing and, you know, cars and that kind of stuff. Right. And so I started applying and started the process. And as I was going through that, they were asking questions like, what do you want to do? What don't you want to do? And I realized when I was doing that, that I could create whatever I wanted with my agency. I started listing out all the stuff I didn't want to do. And I said, well, what can I, can I delegate this to people? Can I use technology or can I say no? And so I started creating little systems that way. And then I started documenting everything and putting processes in place. And that's when everything started taking off. Okay. And so it's really just the kind of realizing that it's not even a real business. It's not even a real agency that can scale if it all still depends on one person. Correct. So, you know, I started looking at, because there's a big difference between um, an agency owner and a CEO. And you really need to transition to become... If you want to scale, I mean, it's about what you guys want as well, right? So there's people that like the freelancing or they like the, the lifestyle business of an agency owner and they just want to keep it small and they want to feel significant in their own little way for that. And that's perfectly fine. Um, but if you want to um, set up an agency for scale, because think every agency owner wants to build a damn product because they <laughs> think the grass is greener on the other side but the grass is greener on the side that you water. And, and so they want to do something different because it, it's so bad for them. But if they start to quickly realize that my role as a CEO is this, set the vision and direction of the agency, right? Coach and mentor the people directly under them, only one level deep, 
be the front person of the agency, like the personality, right? Think of like Gary Vaynerchuk and VaynerMedia, right? Um, and then understand the financials and that's it. That's it. That's all you should be doing if you want to be a CEO of an agency or a CEO of a business. Uh, if you're doing anything else, or, oh, and assist sales, sorry. And that's the key word, assist. <laughs> you not do them all yourself, yeah. No, and I think that's one of the reasons that kind of leads to that is because a lot of agency owners have sort of a accidental path into the business. They Maybe they start out getting a few random projects, then they became like a full-time freelancer, then they kept getting more work, so they expanded, but they never really took a step back to say, hey, what am I actually looking for? And if they want to stay small, that's perfectly fine, but that takes a different mindset than if you want to go big. And I feel like the most headaches come from the people that just keep growing and growing and find themselves in like a worse position they started with. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they they just keep trying to uh, fix the huge hole in the ship. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge hole. <laughs> Right. Versus like a little, little plug. So you get these systems in place, but it's not like having the systems while that helps you kind of deliver more efficiently, kind of help handle more projects. It's not going to make the projects just start pouring in on its own. So what did you guys have to do to kind of ramp up the, the sales process? It's all about specialization. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the second biggest problem agencies have um, because they want to go after everybody. I'm going to tell you guys right now, there's no such thing as a bad agency client. And you probably think I'm full of it, but there really isn't. There's only a bad prospect or a bad process. Okay. And so when, when you're going after everybody, you cannot understand someone's biggest challenge or their desire. All right. Um, and if you do that, then you can just clean up. I mean, I have clients that, um, you know, have such a heavy specialization in like dentistry just for cosmetic surgery, uh, you know, and they're killing it. They're a $3 million agency, right? Um, and so they, they have no shortage of leads because they can put out good information to help out. It's pr the same thing you're doing at Hubstaff, the same thing I'm doing. The best way to attract people is actually help them if you could help them for free by putting out really good content, right, that you wish you had when you're going through it, you're going to attract the people that are perfect for you versus we're relying on word of mouth. You know, there's a lot of people probably listening saying, you know, if you were honest with yourself, a majority of your business is generated word of mouth. It's not scalable. Just, yeah, and some people almost take it as pride, like, yeah, like, I don't even need to do sales, like, the work just comes to me. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine, um, but you're not going to, it's not scalable. And and that's relying on someone else. I hate mm -hmm. relying on other people. <laughs> that's why I, do, I don't do, like, uh, joint ventures or any of that crap, because you have to rely on someone else. And I, I don't like that. I want to rely on myself. I want to invest in myself. And that's, that's how you guys need to look at it. It's great if you can get referrals and that kind of stuff. I get referrals. But that's just icing on the cake, right? But um, they just need to figure out a way. So they really need to have a specialization. Um, at Solar Velocity, our specialization, we became the number one partner in the world for Sitefinity. At the time, it was a really good content management system. I haven't checked them out in a while. I, I haven't heard from them in a long time, <laughs> right. right? But 
I mean, that's how we got LegalZoom and Atachi and uh, you know a lot of big clients calling us because we were the number one partner. And then as that started transitioning down, we became one of the top partners for SharePoint with Microsoft. And then Microsoft started sending us like L'Oreal and some of the big brands because that was that's we knew who our audience was. So we had that horizontal niche or specialization. But if if I could do it over again, and we started doing this toward the end, we would start uh, doing this quicker where the horizontal and the vertical meet. So you could pick a particular industry with a specialization. So you're basically eliminating your competition where your competition really becomes procrastination and cat videos. That's really what, <laughs> what it is. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of your your own self is the limit at that point. And it's funny because a lot of people will even resist the idea of taking a strong positioning stance by saying we work only with Siphoneer. We only work with WordPress nowadays. But it would, to even think about being like, yeah, I do marketing for cosmetic dental surgeons is like just mind blowing to them because that's so narrow. But people forget like one, how big the world is. And two, if you pick a niche like that, that solves a real business problem. There's money to be made in that because people will pay real money to solve real problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, use me as an example, right? So when I when I started doing this business, people are like, well, why are you going to do it? I'm like, well, obviously when I first started, I didn't do it for uh, the money. I'm still not doing it for the money. But they were like, man, that's a small audience. You're just going after digital agency owners? I said, yeah, but, you know, I want to create something that, you know, I, I wanted to have. And then I quickly realized that even if it's a small audience, you can still generate so much revenue. I mean, my business is over seven figures and it's a small audience, right? You don't, I, I could say I could help people that are in the service-based business and that's a lot wider market, but I'm not going to have that appeal when someone sees an ad or they see my website, they're going to be like, oh man, he created this just for me. Exactly. And I think that that aspect of it right there is what makes it so powerful because if you just say, I help businesses with their marketing, like you're almost making the client do work, but well, could you really help me? But if you say specifically who you're helping, then when that client comes across your website, they, they don't need to think, they say, oh, this is exactly what I need. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Small business is not a niche. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, like exactly like that's there's millions and millions of that and even it's like even saying you do wordpress sites really isn't in today's market that's not a niche at all like there's over a hundred million of those like you can go a lot narrower than that and it also helps like you were saying it helps with your content marketing it helps with knowing what to create to attract those people once you can actually identify who you're helping yeah yeah i mean if you're just getting started trying to figure out a specialization you can't just go to the biggest provider like WordPress or HubSpot and say, I'm a HubSpot agency. I'm a WordPress agency. You missed the boat. Right. You got to figure out something else to separate yourself where basically you're deleting your competition. No, and that's a good way of putting it because that's the thing is that a lot of people say, well, I I can't just give up all my other clients. But then they're like, when you do narrow in like that, you get rid of your competition, which makes it so much easier. Well, here's the deal too. So I just spoke at traffic and conversion and people kind of have a hot on aha moment. Cause I spoke on this topic there and I said, look, you're just marketing to your niche or your specialization. You still can take on other people outside mm-hmm. of that niche. 
Let me say, yeah. let me say that again. So you guys hear it. <laughs> You're only marketing. You still can take on other people and other industries and other stuff as long as it aligns with what you do. Because I have tons of people from the financial industry that come to me now or coaches and consultants that come to me because they want to duplicate what I've created. Right. So, but if you go to my site, it just says digital agency owner all over mm-hmm. the place. No, and it's it's funny because so I've had on a few people on the podcast who talk specifically about creating narrow positioning, and I think that works really good for solo consultants in smaller agencies. But as as you get bigger, you can still focus on that. But I like Brennan Dunn was on the show a few weeks back, and he made a good point: is that no, like you don't need to just throw out everything else. It could be as simple as just setting up a landing page for a specific audience. It, it's focusing your marketing. It's not necessarily throwing everything else out. Yeah, and then. You always start real narrow and then you can go broad. So if you think of, um, Facebook, right? They, when they first came out, they were only for Harvard students and then Ivy League and then colleges. So what we did as we started growing and scaling, um, we started adding practice directors and those practice directors acted as the many areas for new verticals and new specializations. All right. So it's not like I'm going to put the line in the sand and this is all I'm going to do. But as we started getting really good in one specialization or one industry, we started modeling the processes and the systems that we had for that and basically kind of treating it as like a franchise, even though mm-hmm. I hate that word. <laughs> but it has to be duplicatable, if, or if I think I just made up a word. But, you know, <laughs> so you can you know, go on and, and, and do other things, but you have people in charge of that because you cannot be the expert of everything. Yeah. And the funny other thing too, is when I hear people saying they're a full service digital agency, I'm like, you're full of crap. I mean, unless, I mean, even like if you look at Vander media, like I love what they're doing. They're a 600 person shop, but they don't even say they're a full service digital agency. So don't, don't tell me you could be a full service agency you know, those full service agencies are crap anyway. Like, I don't, I'm not going to name names, but the really big guys, they do crappy work. No, and it's because you can't truly, you can offer a basic product that maybe follows best practices or this and that, but like you can't have the domain knowledge that's necessary to like really kill it on a campaign if you're working with a thousand different other products and businesses and all of that. So you're, you're taking advantage of the specialization. You're kind of pivoting towards the new things that are coming out from Syfinity to SharePoint and so on. And that gets you pretty big. And so what you originally weren't thinking about selling, what made you decide to start looking into it? Well, people approached us. So over the years, a lot of people kept approaching us. And then, you know, and a lot of them gave us kind of crappy offers. And we're like, no, we're worth a lot more than that, right? We always think we're worth more than than other people do. Um, but then, uh, you know, the right offer came and the, the right opportunity where um, we were excited about it. And we're like, okay. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do afterwards. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, so the right opportunity came. Okay, and you don't need to go into specifics, but how are agencies usually valued? Yeah, so I actually recently did um, an article on this. And uh, let's see. If, I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'll put that up in the notes. It's uh, just jasonswank.com slash sellmyagency. And there's an evaluation um, 
formula in there, but it's basically about um, your your profit margin and your growth rate over the past couple of years. And that will come up with, and this is just, I mean, it's worth whatever pe- someone will pay you for it and whatever you're worth and whatever you'll take for it. That's really a, the short answer, right? But if you want to kind of know the formula that people use, it kind of goes off of like the profit margin on one scale and then the growth margin on another. And then it kind of calculates your multiple based on your profit. Now the multiple, the, the multiple is not based on your gross. <laughs> it's based on your profit. And if you're passing through paid media, they take that out. That doesn't count. Right. So stop. It. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's an easy way to kind of pad the revenue numbers. If you're doing a lot of media buys or even just PPC spend. Yeah. I talked to so many people that are like, yeah, we're a $20 million agency. I'm like, Oh cool. How much is media spend? Uh, 19. Cool. All right. Good. Good job. <laughs> but no, so all right, so you, you get the offers coming in and you say like, all right, this makes sense now, let, let's do it. What happens then? Because especially when there's people involved in so many kind of facets of the business, it's not as simple as just signing the document and then, all right, it's sold. What what kind of is that process like? Yeah, uh, sometimes it can be long and uh, mm-hmm. you shouldn't rush into it. So what they'll do is they'll do, they'll kind of ask you basic questions Um and they'll, they'll say like, you know, how many clients and, uh, you know, you have and what kind of clients do you have? And, uh, the key here is when they're starting to ask you questions, whatever questions they ask you, ask them back. Right. And you got full right to do that. And, and don't, and I wouldn't give them too much information. Like if you work with smaller clients, I wouldn't give all your client roster. If you work with big clients like Coke and LegalZoom and like what we did, yeah, give them your client roster. You just don't give them the, your personal contacts because good luck with finding who my contact is at Coke, right? Um, but for a smaller company, they'd be like, oh, thanks very much. Because some people just start throwing up on, on these people and they're like, cool, I don't need to buy you now that I know everything. And so the process is tell them as much as, as little as possible in order to get them to give you a letter of intent. And a letter of intent basically says what they value your company for, for what they can see from the outside. And if you guys cannot agree, agree on that number, don't go into the due diligence phase. Because the, the, the due diligence phase, if I can say that, is a long, grueling process where they're going to be going through your books, their contracts, all that kind of stuff. And if I could do it over again, I would tell people to take a deposit. Yep. Uh, or like a breakup fee or yeah. something like that. So if everything you asked me before the due diligence phase is true and you back out, I keep the deposit. And the deposit is basically for my time or my lawyers or my accountants that are um, giving them any of the information that they request. Right. And that stuff is expensive on your part too. Yeah. Yeah. It could be expensive. Or if, you know, um, it wasn't really that expensive for us because we just had good systems in place. So when they asked us for, all right, how much is our reoccurring revenue? Uh, how many open opportunities do we have? You know, what's the top tier clients? The, you know, the, how many employees do we have? And what are they making? That kind of stuff. It was like, here. You could just kind of print it out instead of having to figure it all out from scratch. Yeah. And so it was really easy. And then so mm-hmm. after they go through the due diligence and they're just making sure that everything you told them is true and um, then they'll, then they'll put a, you know, 
a letter together of like, all right, this is the agreement. We want to purchase you. And most of the time when you get purchased, any agency or service-based business, it's an asset purchase. They're not going to buy your liabilities. So they're going to basically be buying your contracts um, and that kind of stuff, depending on however big you are. Um, we were just bought outright. We were big enough. Um, but most companies under like 10 million would be an asset purchase uh, where they're just going to purchase your contracts and that kind of stuff. They're not going to purchase your building or any of that. I like when you said, if you don't agree with the valuation in the letter of intent, don't go forward with the due diligence. Cause it's like the due diligence is never going to go through and they're like, Oh, we're going to offer you more money. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, like it's never going to get better from there. Yeah. And, and here's the little hint, guys. Don't do an earnout unless it's guaranteed. Everybody messes well, up on that. Yeah, because that was another thing. Is any of it, because I know for like an acqui hire in, in the startup space, it would be like a typical deal might be a four-year vesting schedule and very little cash up front. But for an agency, like how do they – structure it to kind of guarantee the top talent stays or do they not even consider that? Well, what we did is we, we, um, in the event that when we were sold, we had a certain percentage, um, allocated to key employees. So they would get, um, a percentage of the purchase price. Right. Um, but to, to gauge them, I, you know, when they moved over, you know, I mean, you're going to have some turnover. We had some turnover. Not everybody went with, uh, the new entity or wanted to, or they left maybe a couple months later just because the culture was different. Hell, I even left. Um, but we were sold again. So that was, that's, so I didn't have to do my two year deal. Um, but, um, you're always going to have turnover. Um, they, and you're going to have turnover on your clients too. That's the thing. Uh, that's why it makes it real hard for your earnout. Um, so be happy with the cash you get up front. Uh, I was lucky that I was happy with the cash we got up front. I did not get the earnout. I don't know many people that do get an earnout. <laughs> right. And so for the people that are listening that aren't entirely sure, what what is the earnout? Like how does that work? So let's say they value your um, agency at twenty million. Okay. They'll probably give you, let's say, five million cash up front. And then the other 15 will be an earnout over a period of two years based on performance that they want you to hit. But here's the deal. They suck, they'll screw it up, and they'll make sure you don't hit it. They want you to hit it, but they really don't want you to hit it because it's a big payout. So, you know, at the end of the day, you just sold your $20 million valuation agency for $5 million. If you're happy with the $5 million, perfect. But don't be whining and crying that you lost 15. Right. And so for, for your personal deal, again, we don't need to get into specifics, but you said you had you were required to stay for two years, but it sold. So did you have like an accelerated vesting thing where on another sale it would just immediately vest for you? Or? Yeah. So I had to stay for two years or in the event that uh, the agency was sold again. Mm -hmm. And so the agency that bought us was acquired and then my deal was done. Nice. So that worked out then. Worked out perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I think I, I listened to another podcast you're on, and one of the stats I think you gave was that only one quarter of 1% of agencies ever sell. For, for profit. For profit. Okay. okay. That's right. key. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of agencies that get acquired for no, nothing, um, and they kind of do roll up strategies and that kind of stuff. And then, 
you take on a partner and, or you have a boss and, you know, I have a motto that there's no good. If you don't know the bad partner, you're the bad partner. Please use that in an agency. Um, there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, you know, that you're going to run into a lot of issues. So just make sure you have operating agreements and that kind of stuff. I mean, so to go with that first, I guess kind of two questions. The first one is, Obviously, a ton of the vast, vast majority of agencies do not ever sell for a profit. And so of those, probably a lot of them had the attitude you originally did where they didn't want to sell. Do you think it still is helpful to at least think about an exit strategy, even if you're not planning to sell? You should always treat your business like you're going to sell it, but you don't have to sell it, right? Because if someone wants to buy you, you're doing something right. Because the business doesn't rely solely on you. No one's going to buy your business for a profit that's totally dependent on you. They'll buy yeah, it. Because they could just hire you. Yeah, they'll, they'll buy it for your contracts. That's about it. But mm-hmm. then they're not going to get all the, the other stuff that comes with it. So, you know, when – I mean, that's when we, when we started saying, all right, we're not going to sell. We're just going to keep building this business and enjoy what we're doing and fund the race team and fund whatever else we want to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's when people started coming because they knew they were like, oh crap, man, Jason's always racing. Um, so the business doesn't depend on him. And wow, they're getting these amazing clients. They must have a good team and infrastructure and systems in place. And that was true. Um, you know, it's, and I didn't want to be a prisoner anymore. I want to be able to do what I wanted. Like what any uh, entrepreneur that gets started, they think it's total freedom in the beginning. I'm like, you're full of it. <laughs> There's a lot of hard work. Like you said, the first step of being able to sell a business, anything is that you need to remove yourself from it. And in doing that, even if you don't sell it, it still kind of sets you up for a much better lifestyle than you had before where you're micromanaging everything, where you have to put out every single fire yourself. We need to do all of that. Yeah. I mean, I tell most people nowadays, like we sold in, uh, end of 2011. So it's a little different market now. Like agencies are not getting bought for what they used to. Right. So I tell people don't sell, you're not going to get what you want. Like I will ask them and be like, all right, you're a, you're a million five in revenue uh, this year. And your profits like 500,000 or no, probably the profits more like 250 for them for most people because their profit margins suck. Um, your profit margin should be 50% or more, but no one ever hits that anymore for some odd reason. I don't know why, but um, you'll probably only get 900000 for that agency. And most of that will be an earn out. Right. And so it's better, might as well just keep it for the cash. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, dude, you're making 250000 in profit. Put away 200000 on, and hopefully that's after you've paid yourself. Put away the other two hundred and four years you have over a million dollars in the bank right there you go and you and you still have the and agency. you still have the agency <laughs> and you still have the write-offs and you don't have to work for you know uh, an idiot right because you're going to think everybody's an idiot because no one is as good as boss as you are <laughs> but and so i kind of want to you mentioned this quickly but i, I want to dig into that why what do most i'm sure there's a laundry list of things but why do you think most agencies are nowhere near that 50 percent profit margin because they're not doing it right. They're, they're, they're not charging enough. They don't have the right systems in place um, to deliver quicker. Or they're, they're trading time for money, which is crazy to me. They're not selling on value. 
you know, they're, they're not talking to the right clients or the right prospects. I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. And then they go, well, Jason, we keep growing and our profit margin keeps going. We're a bigger company now. I'm like, okay, who's the biggest company in the world? Or one of the biggest companies, Apple. Yep. Their profit margins over 50%. So they must be, they must be <laughs> doing something wrong. Right. If they can get to the scale orders of magnitudes higher than you have multiple businesses can, then like it's not necessarily, you, you don't want to just use the excuse, oh, but we're, we're bigger now. We can't have the same margins. Like you can. Yeah. You, you can. You can create anything you want. You can charge whatever you want for something. It's not a pricing issue. It's an urgency issue. <laughs> right. It's, especially with the, with the clients as you get bigger and you're taking bigger, bigger clients on, you're not dealing with kind of like a mom and pop shop who's trying to build their first website and want to spend $500. You're dealing with, with clients where the products are in the tens of thousands and up. And for someone to be able to spend that, most likely their business is successful. This, they see this as an investment. And adding 20% to that or 30% or even more if it's sold correctly, it's not going to affect their business negatively. They have the money to spend. They're able to, if you can solve their business problems, they're willing to spend for the value you provide. Yeah. Yeah. We would, like, I remember having a project manager come to me one day and she's like, uh, Jason, I, I don't know if I can work here anymore because and I was like, well, why? And she's like, well, I mean, you charge this person 200 grand for a website and it's really only going to take us probably $12,000 in, you know, cost said, okay, what's the problem with that? She goes, don't you feel like you're ripping them off? I said, no, because I know they're going to make $10 million right. from this. So what's the problem? And she's like, oh, okay. And then I got, I fired her a couple of months later. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a thing where it's like a lot of freelancers that turn into the small agencies that start to grow, they, they don't think about why businesses are willing to, to spend more. Obviously, if you can create more value than they're paying you, that's a good investment. But it's more complex than that too. It's one, I'm sure that company that client knew if they gave you two hundred grand, they're not gonna have to chase you. They're not gonna have to worry about deadlines. They're not gonna have to worry about getting done and getting good product. They can trust you and that they know you'll deliver. It it's they'd rather spend the extra money and not have to worry about the risk. Mm -hmm. That's right. And the smaller clients, the smaller agencies don't always think about that. Is that if you build these processes in place that help you manage internally, and you can you can keep track of everything, you know what everything costs, you know what where every project is in the pipeline, you understand all that, and you can demonstrate to your clients, they're going to want to work with you because you show that you're a professional, that you can get things done with lower risk, and that's worth money to them. Mm -hmm. You're right. <laughs> but let's kind of pivot to what you're doing today. Well, first, what was the first thing you did when you got the your check for the portion of your sale from Solar Velocity? Uh, you know, I didn't really do that much. I mean, I, most of that money I just put away. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I think I bought a Jeep. Uh, okay, so that was your treat? Yeah, I mean, I worked the day after. I mean, you know, it's it's just money. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my buddies uh, sold Pardot. Um, it's a marketing automation tool that a lot of you guys probably are aware of and everybody was making fun of him too. I mean, he sold his for a lot more. I think he got a hundred million dollars in cash. So he, <laughs> he's a better negotiator than me. Um, but he worked the next day and you know, it's just, you know, I, I feel that the people that get to the, the stages to selling and are able to sell, it's not about the money. And that's what I always tell people. And it's kind of funny. Like I used to think people were full of it when they would tell me they're like, 
focus on doing what you like and what you would do for free and take the money equation out and you'll be a lot more successful. And they'll be like, well, that's easy for you to say. You got money. And it really is true. Um, because when I started doing what I'm doing now, I didn't focus on the money, even though more money kept coming in and in, um, which is kind of counterintuitive. But um, don't make decisions based on money. That's that's one of the biggest things I can tell you. Don't choose an industry because you think there's a lot of money in it. Choose an industry that you know you could dominate and that your team and yourself will really enjoy you know, over the years. And then you can always pivot from that. Um, but I guess to kind of transition what I'm doing now answer your questions since I'm long winded, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I'm creating something that I wish I had when I was running my agency. So it took me a couple years to figure out this and I kind of got pulled into it. Kind of like when I designed websites, I, um, I created an iPhone app, um, afterwards, uh, thinking the grass was greener on that side and I hated it. And then I worked for, uh, I was a chief innovation officer for a big financial technology company and hated that. And I was just lucky that, um, some of my old competitors started reaching out to me saying, Hey, how'd you get LegalZoom? And how'd you get Hitachi? And how'd you do this and this and this? And I started helping them out for free. And I loved it. I absolutely love talking agency shop. Hopefully you guys can tell from my passion on this. And my wife quickly slapped me in the face and said, why don't you do this for your career, your, your next career? And I said, yeah, okay. And so my whole goal now is to be the number one resource in the world for agency owners, for people like that I was going through. And so right now, I'm just putting out content. Uh, you know, I have a, a weekly podcast called the Smart Agency Masterclass. I have a YouTube channel uh, where you can ask me any questions called Ask Swank. And I have online programs I've put together that are do-it-yourself. And then I help a select few uh, agency owners that are a certain level you know, be able to scale and, and help them through the struggles. But it's the coolest thing I've ever done, and I love it to death. So, And I appreciate everybody that knows me and has been using it. I really appreciate you guys. Jason's story is great, but it gets even better. And when we come back from this short commercial break, he's going to share what sets the average agency owner apart from the ones who are able to build seven- and eight-figure businesses. And the answer isn't what you think. So hang tight for 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Jason. No, I can definitely see the passion. And to go back a little bit about what you were saying about doing kind of what you love or at least enjoy, I think it's it almost speaks to the way you built the agency and the way you kind of crafted your life to that point was that if the agency still depended on you and you were working 90 hour weeks and pulling your hair on all of that, 
probably you wouldn't have gone to work the next day, even if you got that big paycheck, because you would have had enough. But at that point, you would kind of set up things so that you you had the systems in place so that it was enjoyable. You were truly doing things that you liked to do. So the money wasn't the answer then because you didn't you enjoyed the work. But for a lot of people, I, I think they're the ones who usually say that's crazy. You kept working are usually the ones that most need the help kind of creating systems so that the work doesn't control their life. Yeah. Systems outperform talent. The only difference between an eight figure agency owner or a seven figure agency owner and wherever you guys are at are the systems that they have in place. They're not smarter than you. There's a lot of dumb people that have a lot of big agencies that are doing really well, but they were smart in certain places. I mean, I'm not very smart. I'm just, I work hard (laughs) and I I try to make the right decisions on what I say yes and no to. So a lot of you listening are probably way smarter than me, way smarter. (laughs) But no, I think, I think it's a good point. I mean, it's, it's not always the intellect that gets people ahead. A lot of it's the drive, the decisions, the being deliberate about the process and actually making a conscious choice instead of kind of just going with it. And I think that's why so many agency owners kind of take a step back and they say, what have I built for myself? Like this isn't what I wanted at all. And it's because they, they weren't deliberate. They didn't quite know to take control or how to take control. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah. And they, then they look for something else. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, I, I see so many agencies and it's even hell. I mean, some of the, the clients I take on, um, I'm almost kind of training them as many competitors of exactly what I'm doing, which I'm perfectly fine with because I just want to better the thing. But they're like, well, I still don't like this agency thing, but I, I want to do your lifestyle. I like to, you know, not work all the time. And like, you can do that in your agency. But you know, it's it's amazing. Like I see all these people popping up and they kind of ran an agency for a while, but they ran it to the damn ground and, um, and they just kind of do something else. And if you want to do something else, it's perfectly fine. Like I interviewed um, a, a terrific guy, Noah, and um, on the podcast a couple episodes ago and um, he had a profitable agency. It's right under a million and just closed up shop and wanted to go work for someone. Perfectly fine. Perfectly. Right. You're not saying this is what you have to do. Yeah. You don't have to, and don't keep measuring yourself compared to other people. Right. Like if I measured myself to, um, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're not going to be too happy. I'm not going to be happy. So, you know, or if I measure myself to, you know, a, a Gary Vaynerchuk, right. You know, I, I wouldn't be happy. Right. I mean, like that guy's just intense and, you know, but so don't measure yourself based on that. Just measure yourself of where you want to go um, and then just treat it in stages. And don't, I guess so, so many people get, um, I guess I'm going on a rant. So many people do, don't hang in there for long enough. They want this quick, especially the younger generation. They want this quick satisfaction, like this pat on the back, like good job. Here's your effort award, right? You know, no hard work. I'm like, you got to put in your time. It takes time. I mean, even when I start working with people, yeah, they have some big successes in the beginning. Um, but then you have to have those long, you have to be in it for the long haul to maintain. Cause that's why you see a lot of people rise to the top really quick. And then you're like, where did that person go? Where'd he go? I don't see him. It's because they, right, they it's, weren't doing anything new. <laughs> but, uh, but no, so what, what you're saying is you're not necessarily saying that it's, it's super hard and complex. 
you're saying it's simple, but it takes work. You, if you follow these steps, if you do these things day in, day out, and think about what you're trying to do, you'll get there. The work doesn't need, you don't need to be a genius to accomplish. You just have to show up and do it. Show up and do it. Um, done is better than perfect and just keep improving and, and just be consistent. That's really it. And, you know, it's, that's kind of why I really kind of, I started after I sold my agency and, and was out for a while. I started kind of reverse engineering everything that we did and, and, and literally kind of mapping a process in place. Being like, and it was pretty cool when I started seeing that. I was like, man, I was like, man, I wish I had this. I mean, that's why I created the playbook. But it was like, you know, it's just you have to have a starting point. And if you guys want to know the first couple starting points, it's clarity. Know where the freak you're going. And know what to say no to, and then pick a specialization, and then everything else will stem from how do you do your outbound, how do you do your inbound, how do you do your delivery, what do I charge, how do I hire people, how do I promote them, how do I manage the org, you know, the org structure, the culture, everything, how do I lead? Those are all systems that you need, and just start with one. You don't need to do all twelve. Yeah, and, and it's like it all goes back to kind of that having that that positioning that focuses your efforts because if you're a self-proclaimed full service digital marketing firm you have a thousand possible things you could do at any given time or people you could go after as prospects or anything but when you start narrowing things down and you make that first decision the other ones do follow a lot easier and like along the way there will be tough decisions but if you kind of keep that general mindset in the back of your head it's a lot easier to guide your way through it exactly and so let's let's talk about your playbook a little bit. If I'm a kind of a, a growing digital agency owner who got to a similar point of YouTube, where I, I, maybe I I got to the five hundred thousand dollar a year mark, but I'm struggling to get beyond that, and I'm doing way more work than I expected. How will this kind of help me get to the next level? How what sort of advice will you, does it give? Yeah, so it's literally done for you resources, worksheets, and video training where. It basically maps out the exact blueprint of what you need to go do and the exact blueprint for the different systems. So, you know, for delivery, right? We mentioned that, you know, the profit margins are really bad. Well, one way to speed that up is to do things more efficiently. And how to do more things efficiently is to avoid most of scope creep. And so literally it documents all that process, gives you all those worksheets. So, you know, I always tell people, if they're the type of person that likes to do it themselves, then the online programs are for them. If they're the type of person that is not good at do it themselves, don't do it because you're going to be one of those sad statistics that buy a program and then, you know, never do anything with it. And you wasted your money and you piss me off because I want people to get results. Um, but if you are like someone that is really good and an action taker, right? then it can help you out. And it's for, I always tell people it's for when you're feeling stuck and you don't feel like you know what to do next. That's when that, that kind of type of program, and there's lots of programs out there. Obviously I think mine's the best, but I'm biased, but you know, there's lots of programs out there. So search for them uh, because not all of them are, are right for you, but this is one that I reverse engineered everything I did to build an eight figure agency. And I put it down and I documented everything and people are, are absolutely loving it for the ones that actually go through it. Um, but it's, I mean, even if you're starting out or even if you're a seven figure company and you feel like you hit the cap, that's what it's for. Um, you know, I always tell people, you know, I help people from, 
starting an agency all the way up to you know 10 million anything over 10 million is a different it's a different ball of wax um but uh but yeah so it's a it's a real cool program if you go to um jasonsank.com uh slash agency playbook uh literally i'll send you a couple videos on it just to digest some of the content and then if it's right for you great do it if it's not no problem hope i helped you out on the podcast (laughs) yeah perfect you know exactly and i like that approach because it's like it's effective and it's almost the same to get a little meta. It's almost like the same approach that the best agencies take too. it's give away kind of 80% of your knowledge for free, get people on the right track, prove that you know what you're talking about and help them out. And then if they need more, they know where to go to find that last 20% or whatever it is. But, but it works because you don't, you, you prove yourself and you, and you provide value the entire time, which is sort of like the basics of content marketing in general. Yeah. You know, it's just the best way to demonstrate you can help is actually help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not complicated, but it works. Yeah. I, I, I tell people, they're like, Oh, you're real good at sales. I'm like, I'm not a salesperson. I don't sell. You know, it's, I tell people what they need and if they want it, great. If they don't, there is no pressure. You know, yes. If you get on my list, uh, you'll like my all my email campaigns and and how I do stuff and the, the personality there, but um, you know it's like it, it's just fun um, and you just got to help them. So it's, yeah, and and so kind of transitioning from this, what does the future look like for you? Like, are you going to stay in the space? Do you have any other ideas you want to pursue, or what? What does the future look like for Jason Swank? Just keep with my common goal that I tell everybody that works with me is be the number one resource for agency owners in the world. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a long, long battle. Um, not battling with anybody else. It's more battling with myself and, and the team and just constantly every decision we make is how can we help out the industry? How can we help out these owners? And I don't want to do any for right now. I'm never going to say never, but you know, I, I love this too much and every goal I've ever set out, I've always hit, whether it be, Finishing an Ironman with hardly any training, which was stupid, um, <laughs> you know, to anything else. So, you know, this is, this is probably one of my biggest goals. And how do I know if I get there? I don't know. I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll just right. keep tr- chugging along. So, yeah. And so I guess what do you think is, I know you're trying to kind of fill up all the holes, but what do you think is missing for resources for digital agencies right now? Like what do you think the next thing you'll create or what do you think needs to exist? You know, I think the, well, the biggest thing is, is there's so many people from the outside that really haven't been there that are telling them the wrong things, right? I think that's the biggest thing that are screwing up the industry. But, you know, the things that I'm trying to create is just like how to stop relying on referrals. Like if you guys want to know like the five systems I use and all my clients, you go to generateleadseveryday.com. There's a free video there that literally uh, you have to, there's an opt in there, of course, but <laughs> there always has to be an opt in. Right. You wouldn't be a good marketer. I wouldn't be a good marketer, but it literally shows you all the five systems. So generating leads is always a struggle, knowing what to charge. Um, you know, I'm thinking of all kinds of things. You know, my whole goal is just to create a community. Um, you know, once you guys get on my list, I'll invite you to the private, you know, Facebook group that doesn't cost anything that, has like 600 to, I don't know, 800 members or something that asks amazing questions. So it's, it's all. And you do, and you post on that too. Yeah. And all, all I want to do is create a community for you guys. Um, that's really it. And, um, if I can help, I help. If I 
can't. Oh, then go somewhere else. <laughs> I wish you luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you gave everyone kind of a ton to process today. Like I personally geeked out a bit on the aspects of the sale and all of that. But like, honestly, the, everything you talked about, about building up uh, an agency with intent, with, with kind of being deliberate about your decisions and making sure you remove yourself from as much as you possibly can. I think that's really what a lot of agency owners need to not just hear, but like act on and actually take the next step. And so for you to kind of, as parting words, like what do you think the, the first step, a uh, digital agency owner that's been struggling a bit to, to kind of break through whatever plateau they're at, what would that first step be? Take action. Action leads to transaction. So many people wait for it to be perfect or they come up with all their great ideas, but put their client work ahead of them. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, you got to take action. I hear so many ideas. I have so many great ideas, Jason. We're redoing our website. Our website sucks right now. I'm like, dude, I have a client that literally they kept telling me this excuse. We put up a webinar registration page and he generates a hundred leads a day doing it. I mean, so there's just take action. I mean, literally we deleted his whole website. Heck, last week I deleted 30% of my content so I could, you know, but I took action, right, to make things better. So, you know, if you don't take action, that's the biggest thing between me and a ton of people out there. And that's why I will always kick everybody's butt and same with a lot of other people that are successful is we take action. We don't just think about stuff. We actually think and then do it (laughs) and then worry about the consequences later. This is not what I had planned, but I do have a question about that because I've talked to a few people in the past few weeks about this. Like one of the trends I've always seen is that a lot of them have their routine set up. So like they'll get most of them are morning people. They'll get the first like couple hours of the day, even if they have a bunch of client work to do, they just dedicate just to building their business or working on things that aren't for their clients. Like what kind of, what's your daily routine like? Yeah. So I break up my days in a couple structures so I have my free days where I don't touch any electronics, don't do anything. Um, then I have my learn, learn and discover days. Those are usually Mondays, and um, those are where I'm listening to podcasts, videos, blogs, that kind of stuff, reading. And then I have um, my build days where I'm actually creating stuff. And then I have my um, profit days, which are selling and marketing uh, or like promotion, that kind of stuff, M- mostly marketing and, and promoting. And so I literally only work nine to three Monday through Thursday and I just set it up on my calendar and I, I, there's a couple of obsessions. Like if clients have an emergency and they're about to jump off the London bridge or whatever, then, you know, I'll help them out. But, um, you know, I just set it from the, the get go. And that's, that's part of my uh, quarterly goals. Every, um, every quarter is to stick to that time frame so I can spend time with family because, you know, time is your, your most valuable asset. You don't get it back. If you know how to create more time, let me know. Um, it's more important than anything else. No, and I think that's that's a perfect answer because it's not always the specific routine that matters, but it's kind of being deliberate and, and choosing one that works for you. And the biggest thing is just sticking to it. It's like actually saying, this is how I'm going to spend my day and then doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I go into... And it's knowing what to say no to. Um, but yeah, but you have to schedule it. I mean, I have a cool calendar software that I use, horrible name because I never can say it. Um, but I literally put a schedule in there and only people can book podcast interviews on this particular time or client meetings can only be here. 
and then all the other stuff I can do whatever I want. Yeah. No, so honestly, you gave us a ton. I'm excited to kind of dig through it myself. But so, Jason, I just want to say thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I'll talk to you later. I'm here. All right, see ya. For a guy that built and sold a $13 million a year business and now runs a seven-figure solo consultancy, Jason's super down-to-earth, which makes his already straightforward methods even more relatable. The more successful agency owners I talk to, the more I realize that while they all have so many different strategies and business models or whatever, the thing they all share is a strong drive to keep moving forward. They do their research, of course, but most importantly, they act. Jason's key points are things many of our guests have mentioned. Specializing so you can stand out. Removing yourself from the business so you can grow and not depending on referrals. These are all common themes because they work once executed. Jason also has a ton of great material on his site, jasonswank.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-S-W-E-N-K.com, where he goes even deeper into this. So I really urge you to check it out. But above all else, I want to urge you to get out there and act. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when it seems like there are a thousand different things to do. But just start with one. Then go on to another and another, constantly learning and adjusting along the way. It won't lead to overnight success, but neither will just listening to another podcast episode without changing anything about how you run your agency. That's all for this week. Next week, I'll be back with Ryan Wagner, who shares the routines he follows to stay productive and reliably generate over a quarter million dollars a year in profit as a solo consultant and why sometimes it may make sense to stay small. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and head over to iTunes and leave a review. These reviews really help our rankings and help us reach a wider audience. So if you could spare just a minute to do that, it would mean the world to me. Thanks. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.